Hello and welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast brought to you by the Maryland Association of Counties. I am Kevin Canale, Policy Associate here at MAKO, and I am joined by my co-host, Michael Sanderson, Executive Director. Hey, Kevin. Michael, how are you today? All good, thank you. Great. And, uh, you know, yesterday was a really great day at MAKO. Uh, I love these kind of days. We started off in the morning with our Legislative Initiative Subcommittee. Uh, They meet and they go through a host of different options for legislative initiatives for MAKO. They narrowed that list down to four initiatives. That meeting was followed by the full legislative committee uh, who approved those four recommendations for the 2018 legislative initiatives. We then jumped right into a deep dive on education, which is very relevant with the Kerwin Commission, who's meeting to discuss education financing, as well as the Knott Commission, who's meeting uh, for school construction. And then we ended the day with a policy staff meeting to go over the day's events and continue strategizing for the 2018 session. And Michael, I don't know about you, but I love those kind of days, fast paced, just all in. Yeah. And we, we really touch all the bases, right? I mean, the, the legislative committee, I think you could say is the heart and soul of our organization. I mean, these are elected officials from every jurisdiction. They send representatives to, to MACO. And during the legislative session, during that 90 day session, January through April, that's kind of the focus of the legislative process. They're meeting every week, taking positions on bills and so forth. This time of year, it's every so often. Uh, but that's, I mean, it's a good anchor for us to have the have the elected officials from the counties in town, in the MAKO building. It's kind of, you know, a high energy day, like you said. Absolutely. And it's great to launch our premiere episode the day after, because today we want to go over the four legislative initiatives for MAKO for the 2018 legislative session. And we'll dive right in. So the first initiative we have here, folks are probably familiar with. This is the Local Infrastructure Fast Track for Maryland. Lift for Maryland. This is all about investing in infrastructure. Uh, We've heard about this at the federal, the state, and the local level, and this improves safety, economic development, and quality of life. And Michael, this is not just about roads anymore, is it? Right. It's infrastructure. I think is is the word we want to underline here. I mean, part of the the purpose of Mako adopting several initiatives each year is these are our frontline speaking points when we go out and you know, reintroduce ourselves to all the senators and delegates who are back in town come January. And we say, you know, we went through this process and picked our top issues, and we're going to start with infrastructure. This this rings bells with folks who are red, blue, and everywhere in between. Uh, if you ask citizens and folks in the political field, you know, have, have we been neglecting our infrastructure? Um, and, and should that be a higher priority? you get pretty broad consensus on that. That's tough to find these days. Absolutely. And again, this is a conversation that's happening at all levels. And I think here what we're asking for is for the General Assembly to approve meaningful new fiscal year 2019 funding for not only transportation infrastructure, but as we said, infrastructure across the board, which is so critical uh, for what counties do. Yeah. It's, I mean, this is not, it's not the kind of issue that you're going to solve in one year. So it, it, I think what Mako is encouraging is you know a serious effort to to go after this and make it a higher priority and and certainly a, a big part of what we're interested in is local roads and bridges. I think if you do an honest assessment of where we stand with the infrastructure that people care about, that local roads and bridges you know by by virtue of of the the, the changes that have happened fiscally over the last eight or nine years 
Um, that's a big piece that we've left behind. And I think we'll have a lot of a lot of folks in the General Assembly, this message is going to resonate. Yeah, and you talked about giving an honest assessment, and I think that's important. I think we've talked about how schools across the state, we know exactly where they are. We have an inventory of what our schools currently have, the needs that they have, and we don't necessarily have that for our infrastructure. Why is that important, Michael, to legislators to, to see that sort of list right in front of them? I think I think I mean, part of what we'll be seeking in legislation is to sort of gather that inventory and pull together one report that answers multiple questions all about our different facets of, of local infrastructure. So, I mean, you mentioned schools and we've got these commissions looking at all these sorts of things. Well, one of the work products of looking at school buildings is going to be the status, the age, what needs repair, where do we need expansions or new schools and so forth. So we've got that information around. I think assembling information of that caliber that probably already exists in the public safety area um, with water and wastewater and and water treatment plants and and the like, I, I think all that sort of stuff is around, but that's, it's an undertaking to pull it together. Uh, if if by legislation we can pull together one report that gives us a roadmap for what what what's the inventory and what are the needs and what resources are already in place, that can be a, a big help for everyone. Yeah, so it's just about pulling all the information from different sources and getting it into one spot. So be on the lookout. Uh, we did a Twitter storm last year with our Lift for Maryland initiative. We have some great ideas on how we want to promote this initiative moving forward. Yeah, and I think I think this this is one where social media can play a real real um real role. You know, last year we ended up getting highway contractors and you know driver groups and and then other advocates for our 911 centers and for school construction and other facets of infrastructure on board with this messaging. We, you know, we picked particular days, but if you look at all the messages that went out under this umbrella, and we reached a million people in a day, mm-hmm. and that's not that's not something to sneeze at. Um, it's not like you know everybody suddenly joins the infrastructure army, right. but if you think this is an issue where it already resonates with people, it's a good candidate for you know beat the drum. Yeah, we had a really successful campaign, and, and if you do want to take a look at that campaign, you can go onto Twitter and uh, search the hashtag lift the number four MD, and that will bring up all of the messages that have been uh, used with that hashtag. So let's go ahead and jump into our second initiative here. We talked a little bit about school construction in the last initiative, but the second initiative that we're going to talk about is strong and smart funding for school construction, and that's state funding. Um, And really what this is all about is MAKO asking the state to continue its commitment to school construction funding and make that commitment smart and strong so that we can best serve the modern needs of our kids, our educators, and our communities. I I mean, this is, if the MAKO process of picking our top issues each year is in part driven by going out and meeting with the elected officials and having that exchange, the elected leadership of MAKO and the, the staff and the staff leadership, we're going out and you know, we're on the agenda with the county commissioners or we have, we'll have a lunch with county council members or whatever, and, you know, talk through what's on their mind. The, the community level investment in school buildings is just enormous. Mm-hmm. And when you've got you know, somewhere in the order of a billion dollars of projects that are out there more or less ready to go and 
justified by you know the age of the school that they'd be replacing or the growth in student population that needs to be accommodated. Um, the the fact that lots of projects just get pushed back because there aren't enough dollars to go around. There's no surprise this is going to be on our list for this is probably the fourth year in a row. Yeah, and so we just uh, the capital debt affordability committee just heard a presentation um, from the new head of public school construction program, and there was a recommendation to flat fund um, school construction, even though we've seen rises in the costs, which are pretty pretty noticeable. And I think it's important to point out that this initiative uh, also involves things like alternative financing, public-private partnerships, and innovative models for school design. How do you think that plays in here? Is that going to help push this issue forward? I think, you know, MAKO has deliberately been trying to use these two power words. Um, You know, strong investment, I think, is our message that the state needs to be an active player. But smart investment is sort of what you're leading into with Mm -hmm. those comments. It's pretty important that... If we're going to make an investment of a billion dollars, if the if the state's putting in three hundred or thereabouts, uh, the rule of thumb has always been the counties put in about two dollars for every state dollar. That number's probably even higher than two bucks these right, days. Right. But um, if the aggregate investment is a billion dollars a year, you'd be foolish not to look under every couch cushion you can to find out you know, efficiencies and the smartest and most you know savvy way to invest those dollars, right? Yeah, so this is just about looking outside the box. Uh, there are some really innovative uh, strategies out there that folks are using, uh, not just in Maryland, but across the country. And I think folks these days love government to be um, mo- the most efficient that it can be, and so I think this is a, a winner in, in that ask. And and we have we have an opportunity for some momentum on these issues with with another player. You mentioned the Not Commission; um, they've been working for close to two years, looking at the whole process of how we fund and identify school projects. And everybody expects, we expect, and I think we're we're joined by everybody who's following this. They're going to have recommendations about how to do this more smoothly, the timetable better, more efficiently, how you can save money and so forth, and still have reliable, quality, safe schools that serve the the community needs. That's the kind of stuff we've been interested in for for quite some time. And coming from a commission, just that extra imprimatur and and, uh, credibility, I think can really help this issue. This, this year, there ought to be at least one big school construction day before the General Assembly. We really haven't had that spotlight for a while. Okay, and Michael, we've gone over the first two initiatives here. And I do think it's important that we point out that just because an issue is not on the final four, so to say, of MAKO's legislative initiatives doesn't mean that we're not going to be heavily involved in an issue. So let's take, for instance, opioids. Everybody's concerned about sure, opioids. Sure. We hear about it everywhere. Just because opioids is not on the final four doesn't mean we're not going to be involved. Right. And that's I think that's that's a good caveat for this whole conversation that um, you know, MAKO will, typically gets involved in somewhere in the neighborhood of 150 issues during each legislative session. So right. we get involved in budget stuff. We'll take positions on individual bills. We'll write letters on policy issues and, and a whole range of things like that. And you mentioned you mentioned the you know the heroin opioid concern. I mean that's that's a crisis that that's a touch in every corner of this state. And as 
as MAKO leadership has been out talking with county officials across the state, there's nowhere we've gone that hasn't come up and been on the conversation. Now, just because we don't have a MAKO bill this year or we don't have a proactive suggestion of our own, doesn't mean we're not going. It doesn't mean we're going to be out of this conversation. Right. Yeah. Right. So we'll we'll be in there. We'll probably end up, you know, supporting a handful of different bills. And if there's if the governor has an initiative that's in the budget, I wouldn't be at all surprised if we're there saying, you know, good idea, and the counties can be force multipliers. Absolutely. So we've covered our Lift for Maryland initiative, and we've covered strong and smart state funding for school construction. After a quick break, we're going to jump into the next two initiatives, and we'll be right back. And we are back. Again, Kevin Canale joined by Michael Sanderson, my co-host on the Conduit Street podcast. And we've gone over the first two initiatives. And before we jump into the final two, I think it's important that folks understand this process and how we get to these four initiatives, where the ideas come from. Um, We're not just pulling these out of thin air, right, Michael? Right. This is a member-driven organization. So, so, um, you know, the legislative process, everybody is familiar with the 90-day legislative session. So we go January to April, and then the dust sort of settles on the legislative session. And a lot of folks just sort of tune out policy stuff and figure we'll tune back in when the weather's cold. Right. But um, what what we do at MAKO is every spring, by by June or so, we're, we're sending a call to our members to our professional affiliates and all the folks who are stakeholders in county government and saying, okay, we're months away, but what should be our big focus areas for the coming year? So we're reaching out to folks all across the counties at all levels and saying, give us your ideas. We want to know what's important to you. And we're going to take that back to our initiative subcommittee and they'll go through and decide if that should make a top four item. Yeah. So, so, um, you know, we'll, we'll receive submissions from our, our county professionals. A lot of them are in formal affiliate organizations. So our, um, our information technology professionals might submit something that's a particular IT sort of subject. Our health officers would have something that's regarding public health. We'll hear things from individual county elected officials who have a concern or, you know, or, who have an idea to solve a problem. We'll receive formal letters from a board of county commissioners or from an entire county council. So we get the whole range. We throw all this stuff onto, you know, sort of in a big bucket. And then we have a volunteer committee of of county folks who are invested in the legislative process to work through that list all through the summer. The idea being you know, how do we populate that one pager that we can put in front of somebody as we come back, as they come back to Annapolis in January, we start thinking about, you know, the legislation and, and that, that process again. Um, what do we want to start that conversation with? And that's what the initiative process is. about. It's a good focusing exercise. Yeah. For and, like and it's so important because, you know, oftentimes legislators will come and say, hey, what do you guys care about this year? And there, sure. there, obviously there are a host of items, but 
you, to be able to hand them a piece of paper and say, you know what, these are the top four that our membership has decided we really want to focus on. I think that's so critical to be able to to get that to a legislator who doesn't necessarily have a lot of time to go over every issue with you. Sure. And, I mean, you know, it's the nature of what Mako's footprint in, in Annapolis is we're going to have times to talk with legislators through the session about a specific issue. Mm-hmm. We're going to be able to come and testify in committee about that particular bill and the issue they're talking about that one day. But that, you know, that 15-minute conversation early in session before things are getting really crazy, it's a tone setter. Absolutely. And, and for us, you know, we're talking about, we were just talking about our infrastructure focus. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a lot of conversations about infrastructure in January, and a lot of those are going to result with a senator or a delegate saying, I want to be on that bill. I want to know how I can help. That's a really productive conversation for Mako. Absolutely. And that, I think that's great that we just went through that process before we went over these next two so that folks understand what we're doing and how we're getting this to this point. So let's go ahead and jump into the third initiative. Again, three out of four. This next initiative is aligning public access laws with modern technologies. And I want to give an example before we get into this too deep here. So this has a lot to do, I think, with passive involvement and participation with government. So all of us have been on a website uh, where we give an email because we want to subscribe to a newsletter. We want to get some news. And let's say in Maryland, you're on the county website. You're putting your email in to receive a newsletter, to receive updates, maybe even emergency updates from your county. And we have a PIA in Maryland, a Public Information Act. And right now, those email lists are subject to the Public Information Act. So I could walk into a county office and say, I want everyone's email who, who has signed up for your emergency alert system or for your county newsletter. Is that, is that right, Michael? Is that something that we're trying to address here? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I mean, first of all, things like the Public Information Act, this is like the Freedom of Information right. Act, the FOIA at the mm-hmm. federal level, and people know that phrase sometimes more than the PIA. But... Um, these these are this is a well-intentioned law. Everybody agrees with sure. this principle that the government holds a document or some information, but they're really just holding it on behalf of the public. So if I knock on the door or if a newspaper reporter knocks on the door and wants to get a copy or see a copy, you ought to be able to do that. Sure. So the laws generally say public documents are available to the public, and then you've got guidelines on, you know, don't give out personnel files, don't give out... You know, health information of your employees and other you know, obvious things like that. Um, but you end up with a weird situation because yeah. the default is things are public. Then we don't have the ability to tell people we won't share your email. We won't share your contact. Right. So, you know, of course, open government's a good thing. But as you were just saying, we have this weird situation where if you just have emails and you don't necessarily know who folks are because they're not giving you other information about where they live, their age, there is a problem where you can't release information on a vulnerable population. And right now, it seems to be a loophole in the law that can create a lot of problems. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't, you, I mean, the law doesn't want to force, nobody, nobody wants to force uh, you know, a, a, a health department to give away information about folks who are in the health clinic receiving services, right? right? I mean, right. no one wants to do that. So you've got laws that are written that way. And to be honest, most of these laws were written decades ago. 
and most of them were built around pieces of paper. Mm -hmm. So everybody's got this mind's eye of here's a file folder. You walk over to the cabinet, you pull out the file folder. It's got a sheet of paper in it. And then someone can eyeball the sheet of paper. And then maybe you, you put a matte black magic marker over, um, you know, over the, the particular information that you shouldn't reveal. And then here's a copy. Okay. Reporter, you can have a copy of that sheet of paper. And that's, that's a process everybody's basically familiar with. And I don't know, 30 years ago, that, that was probably the long and the short of public documents. Right, but things have obviously changed. <laughs> and as you're talking about redactions, where you can put that black mark through a piece of information on the paper, that brings us into another point uh, of this legislation. And here we are talking about personal, excuse me, personal surveillance footage. And we're talking here about body cameras, right, Michael? But everybody wants to think that body cameras means police. But we're seeing many first responders now wearing body cameras, whether it's police, fire, EMS. It's not just police anymore. Yeah, I mean, the, the business of local government is a really widespread business. And our charge is to do a lot of things that end up um, affecting people's lives. Mm -hmm. So we send out people in blue uniforms and people in red uniforms and people who are not wearing uniforms who have to go into people's homes, they have to direct, directly interact with citizens, they have to have you know, one-to-one -one conversations and sometimes walk into your property, you know, um, you know, a housing inspector or someone who's looking for, for code uh, violations and so forth. Uh, these are folks who work for local government who, who are out in the field. I think the idea of a body camera assembling footage on those interactions is a generally good idea. It's better accountability for the public on what the you know these employees are doing and what mm -hmm. they're experiencing. So this is a direction. Not only is it technology moving it, but I think it's citizen expectation. Right? Sure, but so we run into a problem here with that redaction, and it's a lot different to have to to go through um, personal surveillance footage and try and weed out everything that you wouldn't want to release to the public than it is going through documents which folks are used to. Right, and. And I mean, and again, this isn't a matter of governments trying to hide things. Right. It's a matter of if the camera is on, the camera doesn't know not to look at your personal paperwork. The camera doesn't know that at this moment you're talking to a confidential informant mm -hmm. or to a child right. or to a victim. Right. So there's a lot of stuff that's going to get picked up on a camera and it's going to sit in footage on a storage device somewhere in your local government um, that unless we update these laws, they're going to be treated just like those pieces of paper in the file cabinet, and they're going to be open to anyone walking in the door and asking for them. And then you got, you've got a management issue of this is a whole lot of stuff. And if someone walks in the door and says, I want, I want all the footage from all your employees mm -hmm. for the last six months. Right. Now you've got a nightmare on your hands because this isn't a black magic marker. It's a team of attorneys going frame by frame. Right. So really this initiative is about updating the Public Information Act in Maryland uh, to align with some of these advanced technologies that we now have that when the PIA was written, these weren't around. So it seems like a reasonable thing to update the PIA as technology advances. Right. And what we're, what we're talking about with legislation has nothing to do with the, you know, here there's a high-profile incident right. and it's been caught on camera. We're not looking to hide anything along those lines. This is about, I, I, this is when, um, you know, 
someone walks in the door and says, I just want everything. Right. So, um, you know, it's, it's a balancing act. And I think, you know, we've got to work with multiple stakeholders on this. But striking a good balance and bringing these laws up to date so they're, it's a fair reflection on all these, these new media technologies, I think it's the right thing to do. Yeah, I think it's certainly a reasonable approach. And we'll move in now to our fourth initiative, our final initiative for the 2018 legislative session, and that is advancing Maryland next generation 911 systems. Uh, some of you may remember that Mako was supportive of a piece of a bill uh, during the last session. It failed to get out of the House. It did move out of the Senate, but uh, it was down to the wire. And next generation 911 is a big issue in Maryland. So. Next generation is one of those phrases that is kind of forward thinking and and sounds high tech. But I mean, can you walk us through what do we mean by next generation nine? Everybody knows nine one one. Everybody knows the service we're trying to deliver. What's new about that? Is this about technology change too? Absolutely. So there's really not a definition for next generation nine one one. It involves a host of different issues, mostly dealing with technology. So the example that I always give people is. If you have an app on your phone like Uber or Domino's Pizza and you go on your phone and you click the app, that company, that car service or that pizza delivery driver knows exactly where you are because they are using the GPS embedded into your phone. The problem with 911 is that 911 networks were developed during the landline era. So we've seen this huge advances with cell phones and the 911 call centers are using cell phone towers to ping your location. They're not using your GPS. So when you call 911, your phone is going to be picked up by typically three cell phone towers and it's going to ping. And based on that triangulation, the 911 call center is getting an approximate location of where you are. So that sounds good up until I hear the word approximate. Right. And so if I'm if I'm in a situation where I'm 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 calling 911 and I need help of some sort. I'm not wild about approximate location. So this is I mean this is the level of service we're trying to improve and this is mostly driven by wireless by cell phones, right? Absolutely. So yeah, the approximate uh, location is a problem because unless you're able to tell the call taker exactly where you are, so if you're incapacitated in any way and you're not able to speak, obviously they might not know exactly where you are. You might be in a neighboring jurisdiction because the, that those cell phone towers think that you're somewhere that you're not. Even though you're within a few miles, creates a lot of problems. And on that as well, when we're talking about someone who may not be able to talk to 911, this next generation 911 is also about text to 911. This is about sending photos, sending videos. Really, this is about our call centers having the ability to receive the 911 call the way that the sender wants to send it. Got it. So this is this is another change in technology, and I mean, you have to I mean, you have to put yourself in the shoes of the person in an emergency situation. And the idea of receiving text, I mean, we we've seen this advanced in some places, and I think a lot of people have a first reaction. Well, this sounds like we're just sort of accommodating millennials right. who'd rather you know who'd rather use their their high-tech emojis and so forth rather right, than making right. an old-fashioned phone call. Right. But you don't, you don't need to have a, a vivid imagination to think someone in an emergency situation who is in a vulnerable spot and not able to speak, the, the ability to send a text saying, I need help right here, 
that's that could be a life-saving difference. Absolutely. And also the ability to send a photo or a video to a first responder so that they know what they're going into when they get to a scene could be crucial. And I think it's important to point out that Next Generation 911 is being rolled out across the country. The federal government wants to see this installed in each state. And we do have a state board who sort of oversees capital spending with 911. They have some protocols. But we want to make sure that our folks on the ground, our folks in the call centers who do this every single day, have their voice heard while we go into this transition so that we can make sure their needs are being met and that they have a voice at the table. Yeah. So this is this is a matter of accelerating a process that's already underway. I mean, that you mentioned the, the state board who oversees these things. I mean, as I understand it, for the last couple of years, they've been investing in equipment in all the call centers and making sure whatever we're doing now is going to be you know, next gen ready. Right. And, you know, this is such a changing landscape. It's, it's difficult with this technology because it's hard to make sure that it's next gen ready. But the state board has been doing a great job of making sure that any equipment will be able to be compatible with the next gen system. And it's an, I also think it's important to say that Everything we've heard from our county folks says that this state board has been doing a fantastic job uh, helping them and, and making sure they have what they need. The problem is the state board is not necessarily in charge of operations on the ground level. So when we're talking about a huge transition like this, we feel like it's really important to move this ball forward. And as we do, our folks having a seat at the table. Yeah. So ultimately, in Maryland, like most places, 911 and these call centers, this is a county function. Absolutely. So there's 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 state support and and you know distribution of of, of grants when you when you have a capital need. Yes. But ultimately, running this show is is really a county function. Absolutely, absolutely. So, folks, uh, those were our four legislative initiatives for the 2018 session. I do want to point out that these issues we can go really in depth on each one of these initiatives. So, in the weeks ahead. We plan on having episodes that do exactly that. We want to get into each initiative. We want to dive in. We want to break things down for you. And that's sort of the plan moving ahead. We want to continue this podcast into the legislative session, keep you informed of what's happening. Obviously, that's a a very, very busy time. There's a lot of moving parts. So we hope that this platform will be able to to get to our folks and, and that you'll be able to keep up with Mako as we move ahead. Absolutely. And, then, and uh, you know, our idea is to connect whatever way you want to receive it, just like we're trying to do with our 911 call centers. Absolutely. And we, we do have our Conduit Street blog, uh, conduitstreet.mdcounties.org. We post a lot of content on there each and every day. And we want this podcast to just supplement that information. And for folks who may prefer this as opposed to that, we want to give you every single option. So that'll do it for our premiere episode. Uh, we hope you'll join us again as we uh, we start diving into each issue more in depth. And uh, Michael and I are signing off for today. All right. Thank you all. Thank you.